Could Bible stories be X-Files? Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, but I'm not alone here in our studio, Cord Purgatory. I have two others with me today, and one of course is Pastor Amanda Sparrow. Yes, and uh, Anthony Algreese is not with us today, so we have no worries of all his uh, different electronics causing another church fire. Oh, <laughs> yes. You see, there are a lot of people who like to do things like conjure up demons like Beelzebub or start church fires. And today we have some people with us who are sort of experts on the not, do not... Not starting church fires. <laughs> or maybe the handling of church there fires. There we go. Uh, man, funny. I don't want to handle another fire <laughs> as long as I live. So I, we, we, have, we don't even have uh, candles that are um, actually with flames. They're just uh, battery operated. That so. they are. And the one you're hearing speaking now, if you're listening to the podcast, is Pastor Mike Proctor, who is also my father. He's sitting in uh, for Anthony today. Anthony is normally the one who he's evolving. He's really becoming our producer around here. Anthony is out of town on family matters. So my father is setting in. All right. So let's get into our material for today. Amanda, what are we going to be getting into this day? All right, so this is podcast 61. Um, our main content for today will be examining various Bible stories that could be investigated as if they were X-Files. Um, but however, uh, to start off, we're going to be talking about some funny articles that we have found, one about poisonous books, and then about some unexpected interpretations of judgment-free uh, zone at Planet Fitness. Yeah, so before we go too much further... And hopefully I can work the controls on this. This is why we have people who are employed to do this. But anyways, as we're, we're getting through all this today, if you're somebody who's listening only to the audio version of the podcast, I do encourage you to check out our YouTube channel or Facebook, but it's easier to search for videos on YouTube. Um, we actually are putting together a, a short X-File-esque version of a mystery today. And it is worth checking out. So there are some visuals with today's podcast, which will help things go along. We're not going to put the skits in the audio version of the podcast, but if you go to YouTube, just get on Kingdom of the Logos on YouTube, you will find it there. But anyways, without any further hesitation, let's get right into this fun article. So, poisonous books found in a library in the University of Southern Denmark. Now, this is an article from skynews.net, and there are a lot of people in our modern world who really get to the point of saying sticks and stones may break my wounds, but... Words hurt me even worse, but the question is, how dangerous actually are words? So let's check this out, because there are some books found to be legitimately toxic. Three rare books dating from the 16th and 17th centuries have been found by scientists to be covered in a deadly poison. I feel like this is every college kid's desire <laughs> right. to get out of reading and writing papers. <laughs> what do you mean desire? Maybe uh, for some... Uh, just an excuse not to touch those books. Oh, yes. So, continuing on, the discovery in a university library has echoes of the novel and film The Name of the Rose, which sees a string of monks in a 14th century Italian monastery killed off by toxic pages for a, of a forbidden manuscript. X-ray analysis of the book held by the University of Southern Dismark revealed a large concentration of arsenic in the covers. So, again, you can check out this full article on Sky News. It's, again, poisonous books found in the library of the University of Southern Denmark. For those of us who have spent time in a theology program, you do a lot of reading books and writing papers, and I'm sure there are many others who have gone the university path who have had a <clears throat> route which took them through a lot of reading and writing. But this really is 
the excuse that every college student is looking for. Um, and it's actually a time where words could be dangerous, but just not in the way that you might expect. Yeah, I, um, I enjoy the fact that uh, reading can be a dangerous, um, I guess, pastime. Yeah, and one of the things, though, there actually are toxic things that have been used in a lot of books throughout history, but that's another issue for another day. All right, the next thing we're going to talk about is planet fitness and what it means to actually be in a judgment-free zone. Amanda, could you share with us this BuzzFeed article? Right, so I, like Dylan said, this is from BuzzFeed.news, um, so it's kind of like a subset of the BuzzFeed website. And the, the headline is just basically a naked man who was arrested at Planet Fitness told police he thought the gym was a judgment-free zone. So if you're familiar with Planet Fitness and kind of their model of business, you know that judgment-free zone is kind of their big thing. They actually have rules about how loud you can be, um, like when you're grunting trying to or straining when you're running hard or lifting heavy weights or anything like that. Like if you get too loud or too boisterous, then you can actually get penalized or asked to leave because they want it to be a judgment-free zone. So apparently this gentleman... Um, Eric Stagno, 34, was charged with indecent exposure slash lewdness and disorderly conduct, um, by Plainstow police captain, uh, told BuzzFeed. Um, Morgan said Stagno walked into the gym shortly after 1.30 p.m. on Sunday, stripped down at the door, then proceeded to walk back and forth a couple of times before settling in on the yoga mats. Right. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, this is what is uh, wonderful. Where you can, uh, who wants to sit on those now? Yeah. This is on a Sunday as well. Now, most of us, again, we're all pastors who are here at Kingdom of the Logos. You would normally think, well, this person hasn't been to church. <laughs> However, there are some stories out there which may take us in that direction. Dad, I know you've got the, the show map over there. Are there any particular Bible stories which come to mind which might point someone in this direction? Well, yes, and you know, that guy did look familiar when I, <laughs> <laughs> the picture that Pastor Amanda showed me there. But uh, anyways, yeah, I, I think uh, this reminds us of Mark uh, 14 uh, and verse 52. Um, would you like for me to read that? Yes, please, go ahead. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. All right, and those of you who are watching the video version of the podcast, we have a beautiful image from 1522 called The Betrayal of Christ, and you can see a naked man running away, being stripped of his clothes. It's not actually scandalous. You can't see anything too revealing the way the artwork is painted, but all the same, this is what one gets into. <laughs> So the judgment-free zone, what does it really mean? Does it mean you go in there and you just let it all hang out or what? Whoa. Do we think this is what he, I don't know. We're just going to leave that there. It was after Sunday. Maybe he was somewhere and they were preaching the gospel of Mark. Maybe not. <laughs> and he just thought, why not? Why not? But I think it does show like sometimes we hear something and we, we take it a little too far or further than it was intended like you know definitely planet fitness did not intend their judgment free zone to mean do whatever you want yeah um especially or that 
Um, there are times where judgment is appropriate, and that man apparently did not have the ability to judge his circumstances True correctly. True words have not been said. There's a difference between krino and kriso. These are the Greek words often translated as judgment. One means to think about things, to use reason and consideration. The other one means condemnation. It's well. not condemnation to be reasonable. <laughs> and this is also the problem with fundamentalism. Uh, we are Wesleyans. We're all with the Church of the Nazarene, so we're not of the fundamentalist origins or even the, the theologies which come out of the sola scriptura as the first point of doctrine, we realize there actually needs to be critical thinking when it comes to scripture. You don't just take something like Mark 14 and, and do whatever you want with <laughs> And it. run away naked. Run away with it. <laughs> well, what, what did it say? Judgment-free zone? Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, when I think about judgment, I think, you know, one day I, I had a uh, professor, I think it was Steve Hoskins, that says, you know, I think we'll all stand before Jesus at judgment, and he's going to ask us, how did you decide? How did you judge? And look at the, the balance. And I know Kingdom of the Logos, that's part of your thing, is, is you know, good judgment, good decisions, good reason. Uh, you know, you can take this any way. I mean, uh, the judgment-free zone look like he's not making good decisions. He's, you know, no rationale. But it's, it, it, you know, I think you can take it as ah. I see where you're going with this. You're saying reason-free zone is what <laughs> yeah. this man took it to mean. <laughs> no reason, just, just you know, just totally no critical thinking. Yeah, no critical thinking. No uh, unreasonable. Uh, yes, but you know, I, I, obviously, it means not to. Uh, you know, to be sensible and not to critique people who are trying to, you know, maybe they're, you know, losing yeah. weight. And Well, we're going to wrap up this segment and we're going to get into scripture, which could be investigated sex files. Mm -hmm. And the criteria for this, because again, there's a lot of really interesting scripture that's out there, but I wanted to have something which would actually be interesting for us to get into. So we had to create a criteria for this. And the criteria is pretty simple, but it excludes some really fascinating stories, unfortunately. Um, but it must be a crisis involving a monster slash paranormal or strange or unusual event. So that's point one, crisis involving something paranormal. Point two is it must, the crisis, the crisis with a monster or paranormal event must have become renowned. In other words, somebody had to be there to watch it. So it can't be like a prophecy or some sort of illustration. Actually had to happen with people there to watch it. And the third is that there actually must be something to investigate. So let's get right on into that. And if you are watching the podcast broken up through our segments today, we're actually going to have our own mini little investigation um, by agents Proctor and Sparrow. And you can watch that. So if you stick through the whole program, you get to see that. All right, so just to, as we look at these passages, we're saying they're like an X-Files um, episode, just so you, maybe you're not familiar with that. X-Files is a TV show that follows two FBI agents, Scully and Mulder, um, and they investigate some, well, spooky things. They may be ghosts, they may be uh, monsters, they may be aliens, um, all in the midst of trying to investigate with the FBI. And so Mulder's kind of the one who really believes, and Scully's, she's the doctor, she has a very scientific background, so she's a little more skeptical um, but anyways, they investigate all these weird and, and bizarre things. All right, we'll be back here in a second. We aim to revisit this theme of examining Bible stories as if they were X-Files investigations in the future. So we're going to leave a lot of room for that. So we're not going to really hit all the things that one might expect. And we're actually going to spend a lot of time in the book of Numbers today. 
I'm actually fairly certain that if Scolder and Mully or Mulder and Scully were sent back in time, <laughs> the situation with the whole everything in the book of numbers would just be enough to keep them busy for a while. Anyway, so let's get right on into this. We're going to start with uh, Numbers chapter 12. This is one of those investigations, if it were on the X-Files, where it's sort of a semi-natural disaster slash contagion thing. Uh, but let's get into this. Would somebody volunteer? Amanda? All right. Yeah? So we're going to be reading from Numbers chapter 12, and we'll be um, kind of reading little excerpts from it, but that's the chapter where we'll be finding it. Anyways, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard this. And so then now skipping down to verse 7, Not so Moses, or the Lord is talking here, is not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And then jumping down to Numbers 14. or yep. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? And then to... The story continues with them um, now because she has leprosy, which is was a very contagious or still is a very contagious disease. They kind of move her out of uh, the community where she stays for seven days, and eventually she does um, heal, and she's allowed back in. All right, and we have some artwork for this. Um, one of them, if you in the audience are familiar with Bloodborne, this is a wood relief and. Miriam actually looks a little bit like Vicar Amelia, and that's a whole nother issue. But all the same, guys, what do we think about this? If this were an X-Files episode, how good would it be? Again, sort of the setup is, or at least our criteria for selecting this, is it has to be a crisis with a paranormal aspect to it, or supernatural aspect anyway. And then there has to be someone to witness it. In other words, it has to be have some sort of renowned element to it, and then also there has to be something to investigate. So what we've got happening, God kind of appears as a cloud of smoke. When the cloud of smoke leaves, Miriam has leprosy, and then she's sent out. What do we think about this, if this were an X-Files investigation? Well, obviously this is perfect for uh, Scully, who is a medical doctor, and so, you know, interviewing people, there's going to be a lot of emotional. Um, I think the picture that Amanda's pulling up right now is uh, you can see the man's face like, whoa. And so there, there's a lot of investigation going on. I think it's an excellent uh, uh, case for Mulder and Scully. One of the things that I think is so awesome about this is Miriam dies shortly after they're after this, but there's not really good resolution from this. And I think that's one of the things which marks a, a true X-Files <laughs> investigation is you, you never necessarily figure out what's going on. Of course, there's this phrase associated with the X-Files, the truth is out there, and the truth never really comes home. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this, Amanda, before we move on to the next yeah, one? I think what makes it kind of a spectacular X-File-esque story is the idea that the cloud descends, right? Because, I mean, we know now communicable diseases and things like that, so we don't think it's all that supernatural. But this idea that this cloud kind of brings it, right, that um, presence of God 
um, kind of initiates this this freak accident. And then also it only affects her. And again, being such a, a contagious disease and such a scary thing, especially in that t- uh, day and age, where it's just only she is affected by it. Um, but it almost acts as also a punishment for Aaron because he just looks so utterly terrified like what Pastor Mike was talking about. Yeah. Yes, he does. All right, well, we'll be back here in a moment. Continuing on in our list of Bible stories that could be investigated as X-Files, we're now going to move on to some fiery snakes and a bronze snake, which brings healing, and it's totally bizarre. And just a reminder, the criteria for the stories to make it into this list is they have to have some sort of paranormal or supernatural aspect around a crisis. So you've got to have a crisis with some sort of strange, unusual thing. That's the first criteria. Second, it has to be witnessed. It can't be like a prophecy or a vision. You actually have to have something happen and word spread so it becomes renowned around the the people there in the area. And then the last aspect means, well, there has to be something to investigate. So let's get right into this with a weird story involving snakes. And again, we're still in numbers. Um, Amanda, would you mind reading this for us? All right. So yeah, numbers um, in chapter 21, starting with the fourth verse. From Mount Hor, they sent out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. And they said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed to, for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it up on a pole. And if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. All right. We've got some artwork that goes along with that. So you can imagine this. And again, if you're just listening to the podcast, it's basically what looks similar to a cross with Moses standing next to it and a snake along it that's a bronze serpent and there's someone holding a baby up to it it looks a bit like the lion king (laughs) Uh, anyways aside from all of that what do we think gang if this were an x-files investigation how good would it be i think you get some resolution in this yeah you do have a little bit more resolution but i I think what what is more supernatural the the serpents kind of appearing or being healed by a bronze serpent yeah. Um, by just simply looking at a statue. So I think that would be kind of like where Scholar, uh, Scholar, Scully and Mulder would kind of come in and be like, okay, what, you know, is this some kind of weird cult? Because uh, the FBI has to be involved somehow. Um, what's going on that people are now kind of, it almost looks like they're they're worshiping. You you mentioned that the, the in the artwork, the lifting of the baby looks like the Lion King. It almost looks like a human sacrifice because it's right near that snake's head. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of, like, creepy things going on in this story where you're just like, whoa, wait. Um, so, yeah, definitely some serious investigation would need to be taking place. Oh, absolutely. And like you said, it, it does have some resolution. Some of the X-Files stuff does not have resolution. Um, actually, a lot of it doesn't have resolution. And then you get some that have, like, multi-tiered, like, plot twist. This is like the two can be continued. Like, they get there, and they're like, oh, there's these snakes. 
that is sort of paranormal. And then like at the end, oh, there's another like the the magic snake that brings healing. And like there's a whole nother follow up for that. So the plot is ever evolving. Well, there's, there is uh, kind of like an unresolved uh, element here. Like what happened to the snake? What, what did you do with the bronze snake? And so I think part of the investigation, you know, you got to take a look at the bronze snake. Got to, uh, you know, does it glow? What is it? Where is its power coming from? Which all points back to God uh, as being our deliverer and savior. But at, at the same time, I think it'd make a great um, X-File because uh, there's so many things to investigate. And your point about the snake going missing, it leaves that open for the future. Yes. Like you may come across the snake, you may not. It may appear in the next season, the next <laughs> testament. <laughs> the next. Well, it does. You know, Jesus yeah. refers back to that in so John's it's, gospel. It's an interesting thing, which we get there. Um, any other thoughts about this before we move on to the next one? I don't know. It just, I think another aspect is that the more and more I read Scripture, the more I kind of appreciate, um, and even to tie it also within the X-Files is sometimes there are such ordinary events, right? So you would imagine there were snakes in the desert. You would imagine uh, there were illnesses with such a large group of people traveling. But there's always this twist, this unexpected twist of something almost mundane and normal like a burning bush or or serpents in the desert um, become these phenomenal experiences by which people um, encounter a phenomenal God. So... Well, it's, you would also experience the unruly complaining people when traveling right. in mass through it, the desert. It almost becomes like a movie cliche when reading the Old Testament. It's like, oh, Israel's complaining again. Okay. You know, yeah. and it's just kind of like the paradigm by which half of our well, scriptures. Well, to your point, <laughs> you know, there is the logical explanation for this. Mm-hmm. There's snakes in the desert. Why would you ever think there's anything freaky going on and then suddenly golden or bronze snake and suddenly the spooky element is there it's like well you can deny the earlier snakes but what about this one <laughs> what about yes. this one here which would make the great kind of scully and Mulder um banter happen yeah i know this, this is, is where totally this would co- that that conversation would have to come in <laughs> oh absolutely right and these images of the you know you still see that in the paramedics pen and things like that that yeah. really that's where it reaches back to but uh, you know, I, I think all in all, it makes a good investigation. And I want to throw this out there, too. Carl Bart, I believe it was, said that, you know, we should never be ashamed of those stories in our Bible that seem so, you know, unbelievable. But it is a book about faith. Yeah. And so we're, really sometimes when we see these things, that's where we really need to focus and ask God to reveal to us, um, you know, how this applies to our life. So, uh you know, just a disclaimer out there, we're definitely not uh, making fun of any of our scripture, but we honor it. But there are some some really good uh, stories that I think would, or, you know, Scully They're and Mulder could really investigate here. <laughs> there are some interesting ones. Yeah. This is also like the the good twin of the basilisk. If you, anyone's familiar with the basilisk, it's a reptilian thing. It's a mythological creature where if you look at it or it looks at you, it can kill you. Mm-hmm. But in this, this case, it heals you. All right, well, we'll be back in a moment. Continuing on in our list of Bible stories that could be investigated as X-Files, we're going to go through two coupled together rather quickly. 
that are still in the book of Numbers, and then after that we'll come back to the Gospel of John. But let's get right into these, the first of which involves Moses and a rock. So Amanda, if you would. All right, so we're still in Numbers, um, in Numbers 20, starting with the second verse. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Of course they did. Uh, Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and to their cattle. Now, and then the story will, of course, continue and Moses will end up hitting the rock with his staff, um, which will end up getting him in a little bit of trouble with God. But um, so that's and the people will then have something to drink. Yeah. And as we read this again, we're not going to spend so much time in these. But again, we get something that's a paranormal sort of thing that happens. People watch it. There's actually something to investigate. Any thoughts on this as an X-File investigation before we get into the tonky donkey? <laughs> uh, I just I like the um, again, we're kind of developing almost our own little movie tropes in here or story tropes that uh, the people complain, God gives a solution, uh, except for then you have this kind of phenomenal experience of Moses talking to a rock. Uh, So I'm not sure there's much to investigate for um, Scully and Mulder to come in afterwards, um, other than, again, man, it just, a little bit, like, just weird, um, but maybe not something super, super paranormal. Like, there's no monster to track Yeah, this is one of those, like, natural events disaster-esque things or sort of paranormal natural disaster. I mean, those two words seem so contradictory, but (laughs) whatever. Um, Yeah, as we look at this, we do get that new trope, which is that in there where people conspire against Moses. That's been like one of the common things. Earlier it was uh, Aaron and Miriam conspiring against Moses. Now they're Israelites as a whole are. Anyways, let's go on to the next story real quick. So let's talk about this Tonkin Dalkey and... I'll let Amanda read this. It's a little bit longer, but it's it's worth your, your time and attention. All right, so again, staying in Numbers, uh, chapter 22 now. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of his adversary. So we're talking about Balaam. Uh, now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into a field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with a staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you in this way? And he said, Well, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you, because your way is perverse before me. 
The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. All righty. And one of the things we find about this is this has been in those places where something bizarre has happened. You've got sort of the, the figure, the mythological angel has come, but then there really is an angel that's come. It's one of those things where if it were an X-Files investigation, the angel might be interpreted as something else, and then you get there and you find out that it's an angel, and there's so many things going on. Who knows? And then there's the talking donkey on top of that. The talking donkey is, is what it is. I think this would be a great X-File investigation simply because the donkey, the talking donkey, is, it really is it's absurd, but it brings attention to something really greater in this story, and that is that God is supposed, God calls his people to be a blessing, to be blessed, but also not to curse. And so Balaam, who is there trying to, to deliver a cursing, is not the image uh, of our Creator who does bless and give life, that he's really trying to take life. So he, he's being um, a cursing not only to God's people, but to the donkey, to all of creation. And so I think this investigation points us something to a much deeper meaning, which I think sometimes you can find that in the X-Files. I think um, what I would like to know is just that the donkey, like, maintain the ability to talk throughout. Like, <laughs> like does it talk again? I know it, not in our scriptures, but that would be quite an interesting aspect. Or if the donkey has to go back to being mute. Because I would imagine, if I were that donkey, I would quite enjoy the, the ability to, to yell at, at, at Balaam. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> you've got Mr. Ed. <laughs> well, you also have Nestor and Nestor's mother who dies in the very tragic scene in Nestor, the long-eared Christmas donkey, which is a very good movie. If you like the the uh, claymation stop-motion old films around Christmas, it's definitely one worth watching that's actually centered around what Christmas is about. It has a very good Christian message. And but, don't forget Charlie, the church history dog. Yes, Charlie also talks... <laughs> The question is, does Charlie retain his ability to talk when he goes home with me? <laughs> mm. has, has Charlie ever stopped you from being killed by an angel with a fiery sword? These are the questions we must investigate. These are the questions which must know. At first, I started to give a response to that, and I was like, this, is, this isn't this is open anything. This needs investigation. The truth is mm. out there. The truth is out there. Charlie, uh, he, he retains some ability to communicate what he wants. I can tell you that. <laughs> Oh, Charlie's very good at communication. He's a quiet dog, though. He doesn't bark a lot. But when he wants something out of the fridge, he'll come and get you and take you to the fridge. <laughs> he takes you everywhere. He even lets you know when he's ready to go ride in the car. But well, that's a whole other issue. And we'll be back here in a moment. All right, and now we're going to wrap up our program of Bible stories which could be investigated as sex files with one that actually has an investigation in it. And this is from the Gospel of John chapter 9, and it pretty much is the Gospel of John chapter 9, where there is a man who is blind from birth who is healed. Now, if you want to go read all of John chapter 9, we encourage you to, but I realize this is a podcast and we'll see if we can't uh, consolidate this story down a little bit shorter. So basically... What happens in this is there's a man who is 
born blind. Jesus comes, he spits in the mud, rubs it in the man's eyes, and something happens. Amanda, what happens next in the story? I'm going to pass this off so we can all talk. Okay, so the the man is healed and his neighbors see this, right? Mm-hmm. And they're they're now wondering, okay, was this really the guy that was born blind? What's going on here? So they begin the investigation. So they take the blind man uh, before the Pharisees because um, also apparently this was on the Sabbath day yep. that he was healed. So that's kind of another layer of uh, needing investigation. And so the Pharisees kind of interrogate him a little bit. And he says, oh, yeah, Jesus healed me. And they're like, well, then maybe you weren't really blind in the first place. So they call his parents. Um, and his parents basically say, he's an adult, ask him. Mm-hmm. So then they go back to talking to the man who was born blind. And one of the things which is so fascinating is they're trying to trap him. They want to get him to give them something they can use against Jesus. And I love the statement he has. He says, you know, I cannot answer whether or not that man is a sinner, you know, good things come from God, he says, but this is the evidence. Because, again, you wouldn't expect a blind man to be one of the more articulate people in society. But this man is absolutely the, a boss. He has his stuff totally <laughs> together. He tells them, this I know. I was blind and now I see. Amen. And he basically says that to him and then peels out. And the situation is just absolutely amazing. They're finished. Yeah. They're finished. It's it's all over with after that statement. Um, and when you say that statement, they're finished, of course, we're referring to a sort of internal joke. There's someone in our circles who likes to finish people with ultimate comebacks. And it's basically what went on there. They were over. So what do you all think about this? You've got the paranormal thing going on. You've got an investigation going on because people, they can't wrap their minds around something which seems so unbelievable. And on top of that, you've got people who have sort of a subplot. There's this motive to do something about Jesus. They're, well, we could say they're a little jealous and resentful of Jesus. They don't like what he's doing. They want to have something against him. It happens on the Sabbath. You know, you've got your subplots going on. Mm-hmm. You've got this man's parents who are saying, you know, he's an adult. Just don't kick us out of the synagogue. Go in and investigate him. There's a lot going on in this story. Well, there is. And, you know, I think what makes this a good uh, X-File investigation is that, again, Scully could, as a medical doctor, she could go in and say, you know, this is amazing. Because we we know now that that a lot of times the laser surgery and stuff, it's really shaping the eye. But we actually see God taking and really going back to the dust of the earth and reshaping this man's eyes and he is able to see uh transformation is taking place not only physically but i think you touched on it earlier being so uh, articulate that man he's got the answers to answer back yeah he's real candid in his mm-hmm. answers but not only do you have this well we know now something with science but even in terms of morality Jesus and the blind man know something about morality that these religious leaders don't. The idea that, first off, the Sabbath is supposed to be a gift to people. It's supposed to make people's lives better. But also this assumption that this man had to be blind from birth. They know something about this that the people really aren't willing to get. They're not willing to to grasp it. They don't want anything to do with that. 
Well, and I think because there's this presupposition in that culture, and even today, that that if something bad happens to you, this man was born blind, then he must have been born in sin. And so when he, when the the man who was blind from birth gives this phenomenal answer, they're like, ah, you know, you were born in sin. What do you know? Yeah. Um, and it just, it, and here Jesus just kind of comes on the scene. And it's just like, just heals people, like. Mm-hmm completely undermines all the presuppositions that are happening. And, and what makes this such a great X-Files is not so much, I guess, the miracle within itself, but just the completely tw- uh, twist, the turn of events that now happens where, like you're saying, it, it's the blind man that leaves this place probably with more wisdom and, and really blessing than even the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the people who were supposed to be in the know. Yeah. Um, they're the ones that are actually left blind. Well, one of the things that we find as well is that the truth is transcendent here. The truth goes beyond the, the, the faults and the cracks of the institutions that are there in the world. It goes beyond even the, the hierarchy of these people. And Jesus is not really tore up. He's not getting wrapped up in the details. He's not going to play by their rules. He's just now saying, I'm going to heal people. This is the truth. And he's going to do his thing. He's not going to get wrapped up in everything that they would have him um, be snared by. And it's it's amazing. Well, and, I, I think just, you know, the threat of power... Uh, but the, there's a loss of the vision of being what God created us to be. So, I mean, even the the implication that the the uh, leaders have there that, you know, Jesus is a sinner uh, because he's healing on the Sabbath, all of a sudden, you know, blessing is coming out of the Sabbath, that this man's life is being made whole and complete. There is a sense of not just sight being restored, but vision of what we are called to be um, as as God's people, and so there's a real threat. And so, I mean, I think that's something that, again, makes a great X-File because there's, a, there's a, a deeper meaning than what is just seen at the very surface. And so, uh, as, you know, this this incident is, uh, event is investigated, I think the truth comes out. And so yeah. we even see that in in um, how, how it is... Uh, the truth comes out, John. and people really can't handle it. Yeah. It's interesting. Jesus has the transcendent truth and the healing power. The blind man goes along. He receives the transformation. He does not stay in the same position. He goes along with Jesus along this route, and sort of the low, the the forces of the world, they're just sort of left there. Mm-hmm. They, can, they, can, they can embrace the truth. They can embrace the transformation, or they can fight it. They can fight it, and they can be like the cigarette-smoking man who says, well, well, we'll clean this up. We'll bring in the parents. We'll bring in something. We'll play identity politics or something to discredit all of this. We'll say he's a sinner. You know, they think they've got it under control, but you just can't squash the truth. You just can't do away with it. Well, I mean, there's even a, a question of the identity. Is this the same person? So transformation is yeah. real yeah. in the sense that it's almost, you know, we recognize him somewhat but not not completely yeah oh yeah and we encourage you go and read john chapter 9 you'll be blessed by it 
Well, we're going to wrap up our program with that. Thank you for joining us. Again, you can download our free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasting. The RSS feed goes out a lot of places. Um, And, of course, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Kingdom of the Logos. If you're looking for a church home to be a part of and you're in the Nashville area, please visit Trinity Church of the Nazarene or Jolton Church of the Nazarene, and you will find us alive and real. We don't just exist inside a computer. We are real people. And transformation taking place. Yes, and transformation taking place. And of course, if you would like to donate to the program to help pay for, well, our material here uh, and the technology that we have to have, you can donate at patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos. And on that, have a blessed day.